It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, welcome back to the Crash MotoGP podcast, episode 33. Uh, we're back for our January showing, just slowly easing into the new season. Uh, but it has been a while, so we've got a fair few things uh, to chat about. Coming up, uh, Petrucci and Rossi's post-MotoGP ventures have been very well established now. Uh, meanwhile, Mark Marquez has returned to bike action after being sidelined due to injury, plus more rider move rumours for 2023 already being touted and of course we have some bike liveries to look at for this season plus your questions answered and to do it all alongside me harry benjamin is crash.net moto gp editor pete mclaren and former rider and british champion keith hewan welcome back gents um now i want to start with um the man the myth the legend danilo petrucci Keith, you were quite worried about him heading off to Dakar towards the end of uh, last year. He's now done it, of course, with KTM. It wasn't an easy ride for him. It wasn't an easy start at all. I think he had a, a bike, a, a, a broke his ankle in training, a, an electrical issue when he was out there as well. But he can now claim to be the first ever MotoGP and Dakar rally stage winner. How epic is that? Amazing. He's one of those guys that that just keeps on giving, doesn't he? I mean, everybody loves him anyway. But then to go to the Dakar, probably one of the toughest disciplines you're ever going to come across. I mean, because it, you need to be able to navigate it. You need to be able to ride it. You need to be able to stay safe in it. I mean, there are so many things that could go wrong at the Dakar that, that kind of that's where I was worried about. You know, short circuit stuff. You know, you learn a three-mile course or something and you do it round and round and round and you get to, you know, millimeter perfect mm. every single corner every single breaking area but the Dakar there's just so many variables but for him to win a stage beyond dreams I mean once again floods of tears <laughs> you know he made the desert wet didn't he when he won the race won the uh, stage that um, I mean I, I think one guy got disqualified and it moved him up a place but all the same that's what it's all about in the Dakar you've got to do it right you've got to do it within the rules as well and he wasn't, I don't think, in the overall points situation at the end, purely and simply because of the problems he'd had early on in the Dakar, but he continued to, to ride in through the stages later on in it. And later on, he found it really, really tough. Can you imagine that? How grueling that must be. I mean, he won a stage, and then he's got a whole load more that he's got to do over the next few days. It's, a, it's, a, it's one of the toughest things I think anybody can do. Sure, he's fit, and he's 
waved the flag for MotoGP, hasn't he? I mean, what a star. What an absolute legend. It, it's, it was just amazing to watch, especially the floods of tear, wasn't it? And, and to come out of this, though, Pete, as well, not only to have got it under his belt, but now uh, the news breaking as well. There was sort of a, he had a super, super bike test rumours and it has now been confirmed that he will make the switch with Ducati and go and race in Moto America, revealing things that sort of things weren't working out too well with KTM, even while he was out there in the Dakar with them. Yeah, I mean, he did say this won't be his last Dakar. So I think that we will see him back at the Dakar. I think this has made him, he's got to the finish. I mean, just finishing, as Keith was saying, such a challenge just to get to the finish. I mean, you think a rally driver has a navigator. As Keith was saying, you've got to navigate yourself. I mean, I struggle to navigate around the house without Google Maps. I mean, let alone <laughs> the desert. And then those sort of speeds and, and everything else. And, you know, he did have a couple of big accidents. I think he injured his elbow and all this kind of stuff, which, which is going to happen when you're doing hundreds of kilometers a day. Um, and Joe Davizioso, you know, a good friend of his was, and, and another off-road racing fan that we, we got to speak to him yesterday at the RNF launch, which we'll get onto later. But he was asked about Petrucci in the Dakar. And, and would this be something that he might be interested in? And he went, look, you know, I'm not that crazy. He said, you know, and also he said, I'm not that surprised because he said, I know how fast Petrucci is. He said, he's faster than me at motocross. And, uh, you know, Dovi's a good motocross rider. So, you know, Petrucci, he's a real talented guy. He plays his talent down a bit sometimes. You know, when he left, he said, I'm probably the last normal guy that will make it in MotoGP. And, you know, there was a lot of riders that sort of jumped to his defense and went, no, 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 come on. But I think he was quite down after the, the, the season he had with KTM. It was a difficult season. He, he was the wrong size for the bike. And this maybe just shows, you know, it, you know does MotoGP need to look at the, the size issue? When you've got a rider that can go out and win a stage on the Dakar, clearly he's, he's still incredibly talented and yet isn't able to be competitive in MotoGP because of his size. But that's another story. As you say, it looks like the, the, the Motor America rumors, to be fair, were, were, were gathering pace even before the Dakar. Um, and I think that it was sort of decided, look, focus on the Dakar. And obviously that's with Ducati, the Dakar's with KTM. So they had to sort of trade a bit carefully. But now the Dakar's out of the way. I think there will be this sort of, he's all but confirmed it, hasn't he, that he'll do this season in America. And then let's see where it leads. I mean, will it lead to, to a superbike comeback? Will he do the Dakar next year? You know, we still don't know. But yeah, it's certainly, he's, he's, he's sort of carved his own little place in motorsport history. And I think... You know, none of us would begrudge him that, given the effort that, he, that he's put in, coming from the very back of the grid in MotoGP on those CRT bikes. You know, he came from the slowest bike on the grid, worked his way all the way up to a factory Ducati, won two races, and now he's gone and done something unique. So, so good on him. Super stocker straight through MotoGP to the Dakar. But you know what? The series, Moto America, he will have a wonderful life in America covering that. Tracks are not the safest. We think kind of British championship and the like, they're a, a notch below what we have, uh, you know, perhaps even here in Britain, but um, much more dangerous than perhaps MotoGP, but fantastic racetracks. And I think the key with Petrucci, what makes him fast is he loves riding a motorbike, any motorbike, and that makes a massive difference. He'll have a great time in America, a great lifestyle in America, and, you know, it's going to make him happy again, and which I think all of us would like to see a happy Petrucci is good for all of us. Absolutely. Who doesn't love a happy Petrucci? Well, I uh, wish him all the best going forward for this year. I'm sure we'll be keeping an eye on him and it won't be the last time we talk about uh, Petrucci this season. Um, and it definitely probably won't be the last time we talk about Valentino Rossi, even though he has, of course, now retired from MotoGP. He has now confirmed what his post two-wheeled world plans are. And as expected, he is going 
to the four-wheeled world. Keith, I know you don't want to talk about it, I know. But he has signed uh, with the WRT team in the GT World Challenge Europe Championship, uh, which is essentially, for those who don't know, is a GT3 championship uh, in, in terms of car regulations. And it contains races like the 24 Hours of Spa and things like that, as well as other short, shorter races as well. Um, and Mooney, the title sponsor, of course, of VR46, are following him there as well so uh, rossi off to four wheels and uh, mooney on board with vr46 after that aramco deal seemed to have just sort of fallen through it was there it wasn't there not really sure what happened with that one in the end but uh, are you excited key to see uh, how rossi fares in the four-wheeled world do you know what i'm excited about rossi enjoying his life at the end of the day baby on the way you know it was a wonderful series of interviews that an american journalist did that um, you can pick them up on youtube i don't want to direct people away from our channel but you can find them on YouTube and they were brilliant. And Francesca came across so, so well in it as well. And you can see Rossi was playing second fit, second fiddle to her pretty much in, in uh, most of the interviews that I saw anyway. Enjoying life after MotoGP when it has been your entire life. You breathe, sleep, think everything all of the time as Rossi did to be that good right up into his 40s. Um, to enjoy your life afterwards. GT3 racing, what is it? What does it mean? Who cares, to be frank with you? I mean, he's a motorcycle man at the end of the day, and he's an icon. He will never, ever equal what he did in motorcycling in cars. It's an enjoyment factor, and we all wish him, you know, great time, great family life, enjoy his retirement in GT3 or whatever he decides he wants to do in the end. He will be competitive. We all know that because that's in his being. Um, but what it all means, really, I, I noticed that social media have pretty much dropped off the edge of a cliff regarding um, anything to do with, the car side of things if it had been a motorcycle announcement that had been made it would have been on the ramp up and there would have been more and more people that were were interested in it but i think because it's cars sorry harry but it kind of doesn't have the same appeal to us kind of died in the wool bike people um but we all wish him well because he is the man he is the man that's fed us all for so long in emotionally and financially i mean i, I think that you know there was that dread for years and years and years when he moved out out of bikes if he'd done it two years earlier it might have put motorcycling grand prix racing in jeopardy combined with the pandemic it could have been a serious serious problem for the likes of dorna and and broadcasters that relied on the rossi factor to to gain the size audiences that they did um so it's all worked out well hasn't it i suppose he's left us scot-free virtually injury free into his new plaything family on the way i mean brilliant and free pizzas in <laughs> that's all that really matters isn't it well it will be interesting to see how he gets on and actually how how you know the whole social media and, and the eyes on that championship how that works you know will there be suddenly a whole influx of fans or will there not be it'll be interesting to see and he, he joins the wrt team who are the reigning champions of the gt world challenge so he's going into one of the best teams um right let's park that there shall we and move on back to two wheeled world um but unfortunately uh back to injury chat but Looking better for Mark Marquez, Pete. Um, return to training, uh, return to uh, Aragon as well, going around the track there, getting back up to speed. Of course, he missed the final two rounds of last season after a, an injury in training and experiencing double vision again, a problem he suffered previously, of course. But he's got his you know, sights set on being there in Sepang for the test by the sounds of it. He has. And I think, yeah, if any rider has had a good Christmas and New Year, I think I think it's Marquez because I think, you know, what a setback to have, having fought back from the shoulder and the arm problems, 
that great run of form he had, and then it just all comes to a sudden end with this repeat of the right eye nerve damage. Um, and, and it sounds like, you know, he had to do complete rest. And it was only sort of, I think, about a month before he, he got back on the bike that he noticed that things really started to improve. So, you know, he, he went out on a motocross bike, first of all, tested it there. It was okay. The doctor said, well, look, you know, you need to do some high speed stuff before you even think about Sepang. Um, you know, Mark, Marquez made clear, look, if I'm back on a bike, it's because my vision is fine. But, you know, they wanted to check how's it going to stand up to the G-forces? What's going to happen when he gets tired even? You know, if you do a long day on the bike, might that even be a problem? So we saw him ride. He can't ride a MotoGP bike because of the testing rules. So he rode the nearest thing he could, which is the production version of his MotoGP bike, if you like. Um, and he rode that, as you say, at Portimao. So it's a Grand Prix circuit, very undulating, you know, challenging track, a lot of G-forces, everything else, a few hard braking zones. Um, and it sounds like everything went well. And, uh, you know, the sort of the... the I suppose the, the thing that underlines that is that he was then back out again, as you say, at Aragon just a few days later, because given that total rest seems to be the thing that's worked for him in terms of the recovery, if there'd been any doubts after Aragon, you know, if he'd have been a bit, oh, I'm not sure if it was, you know, maybe playing up a bit, I think his doctor would have said, look, nothing for two weeks. Instead, a few days later, he's back on the bike at Aragon on a, a Grand Prix circuit. So I think it's all looking good for him. Of course, he's been sat at home, though. He's, he's, he's a long way behind on his physical training. So, you know, we also don't know, you know, what happens when he falls off the bike. It's, we spoke about this before. Who knows? You know, he 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 did speak at the Honda presentation earlier this month, uh, along with the other riders, and he sort of gave a bit of background to this accident that he had, this enduro accident. And it doesn't sound like it was a particularly big accident. He said it was just a slow sort of corner. It was a bit of a high side, and he actually got back on the bike and rode home. He, he felt fine, and then three hours later, suddenly, you know, he's having problems. So th there'll always be that concern, as with any recovery injury you know, until he falls off and he gets up and everything's fine. But it looks like everything's heading in the right direction. You've got to believe that he'll be on the bike at Sepang, and that'll be a big boost for Honda. Problem with Honda, I got, of course, the, the, the trouble moves up the order, doesn't it? If he's fit, first his arm, if he's fit with his arm, fit with his eyesight, then suddenly the focus changes, pardon the pun, straight onto the state of the bike. And I think that uh, Honda this year, next year, this year, 2022, They've had to throw the kitchen sink at it with what Ducati had developed last year and what they've got in the locker for this year by the time they get the, the tech freeze that comes naturally for all those that don't have concessions by the first round. The rules haven't the rules haven't changed. The rules are still pretty much secure, but Ducati have found a way of navigating through those to get the very best motorbike last year. And Honda are behind. It's going to be interesting for Marquez. He's not been part of that situation to try and make that development work for 2022. It's going to be really interesting to see what Honda have... Will they have broken with tradition? I think so. I think they're going to... I think we're going to see something quite different when we get to racing this year with the Hondas, and it's going to be Mark. You know, the tests are going to be fantastic to watch. They're going to be really, really interesting this year. Yamaha are miles behind. Look at what Quattararo said. The, the test at the end of last year. <laughs> I've never... That was about as strong a language as any factory rider at the end of a season could come up with. Basically, that bike ain't good enough. They have not made the improvements that he wanted to feel, to see, to 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 equate to his bike. So there, there are a few people that are in the slipstream of Ducati for 22 
going to be really interesting. Really interesting, of course, testing just around the corner. Uh, we've had a question, though, just off the back of uh, Mark. Uh, Babe Mukhail has asked, um, Mark's secret weapon against the opposition has been his ability to find the limit in practice and not minding the crashes. And just to pick up on what you said there, uh, Keith, of course, it's just a matter of also checking the arm. But now, with his uh, diplopia, which is the double vision issue re-emerging, do we think, do you think, we'll ever see the old Mark again? And, and that sheer speed advantage he's had it's a question we've asked before but now he's got two different injuries to, to look after I don't think he'll lose his speed advantage I think he's still going to have the, the Marquez kind of speed but the fact is is will it be consistent that's the problem mm. for an entire year it's a tough year and Pete's already alluded to it you know like you know, will that be a factor in his sight that you know he's wearing himself out I mean the other thing is age is moving on yeah we used to say how wonderful young Mark was now he's what 26 27 he's over the hill poor old bugger you know <laughs> We're there already, but but that has a that's an effect. It does have an effect. Age, determination, you know, the, the, to 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 do what he did before and take the hits that he took before, shrug them off and get on with it. It was legendary what he would do to himself and get back on a motorbike. He might not be able to do that anymore. That might be a factor that does not particularly slows him down, but calls a halt maybe to his season. Who knows? We 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 we've still got to get over that hurdle just yet. I mean, Honda. You know, there's there's all sorts of you know, Honda have got to get over quite a lot, haven't they? I mean, Takanakagami, we're hearing is 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 seeing a psych not a psychiatrist, but a sports mm. psychologist, if you like. Then same thing, I suppose, in different different wrapping. Um, fact is, is that Takanakagami by now should be a consistent top three runner. You know, he's almost there, but he's not been able to get over whatever mental block he's having. So he's having that kind of situation going on. Mark is a bit fragile. You know. It, Honda are not where they want to be, either with the bike or their riders. I think with Mark, it's interesting, isn't it? We've seen it with, with, with Rossi. All the great champions, eventually they hit some sort of stumbling block, don't they? Where their run comes to an end. We saw, you know, we saw Rossi 06, 07, he lost the title for two years, but he was able to come back and win a game. So I think, I think Mark's certainly got more championships left in him, but I think it's going to be hard to be you know, as dominant as we saw in the past given that these young guys have come up in these two years where Mark has been down, the other guys have come up. But I think this was always going to happen eventually, you know, whether it was a team change, a technical change, an injury, there's always something that stops even the greatest of champions, isn't it? Some, some sort of hiccup comes along. So, it, so it's going to be interesting to see how Mark reacts to that. And I think we're all waiting to see Mark, you know, as Keith says there, now the veteran almost facing guys like Quattararo, Mia, Banyaya. I mean, that, that, you know, it's like Rossi going back 10 years facing Lorenzo, Stoner, Pedroza. You know, we could have some great battles between them, the old guys and the, the new guys. So, yeah, I think it's, you know, and you've got the bike on top of it. As Keith says, Honda have done, talking about Yamaha, you know, Quattararo has been asking for these engine upgrades. He said, I haven't had anything yet. The bike feels the same. Honda have gone the opposite way. You know, they've had, got an all new bike. They had two different engine specs on track last time in November. Um, you know, they, they are, as Keith says, they're throwing everything at this. And what they need Mark to do, what they'll be hoping is that Mark agrees with what the other guys have been saying about the bike. And so they'll be really grateful that they can at least get the chance to check that at Sepang because it's the last chance to make any real change. And even then, it's only a short time before the final test in Indonesia. But at least they should hopefully get Mark on the bike. They'll hope he says the same as Paul, as Nakagami and, and Alex Marquez, which is that the rear grip is better and uh, the bike is better. But imagine if he says, actually, no, I like the bike that they don't like. I mean, that's going to throw a bit of a spanner in the works. But just to have Mark on the bike and giving some feedback, which he couldn't do this time last year, of course, that's going to be a boost, I think. 
got to watch out too this this year, and we've all got to do this as I won't call myself a journalist, but you are Pete, so we'll, we'll call you. But journalists have got to really keep an eye on what's going on regarding the rules because they they they're going to be a lot stricter next year in inspections. You know, the standard inspection procedure is going to be one that where they can take a whole engine out of service. Now they can say they can say we want engine three for instance, out of the seven that they're allocated, nine for Aprilia. Aprilia can change theirs through the year because they still have concessions. But all the other manufacturers don't have concessions. So they've got seven engines next year, which effectively are sealed at the beginning of the year. Now, any one of those seven engines during the course of the year can be asked by the inspector to be taken out of service and sent the parts that they want to get looked at, sent to an Italian university where they strip it all and check it all to spec and to the to the plans that have been uh, submitted pre-season for that particular motor. Um, now, if they're only down to the last couple of engines, then, then say, for instance, Honda, they can allocate a new engine, but it's only allowed to do so many miles. So there's no advantage, for instance, in, in, in the mileage that's allocated to that motor. They can bring a new one in so that it doesn't detrimentally affect what's going on if the other engine has been destroyed by the university for inspection purposes. But... The fact of the matter is, is that the regime are going to be checking next year, this year, sorry, this season, much, much more, much more closely, much more vigorously. So we don't have the valve gate situation with uh, Yamaha, for instance, that we had a, you know, a while ago. Um, and it's quite strict and there will be more of it. And because we've got more development stuff is my point in a random roundabout way. You know me, I do ramble on. But the, the fact of the matter is, is that because we are going to have a lot of changes, um, we we think and we hope, particularly Quattararo with Yamaha, there might be something that infringes the rules. So we've got to watch out to see just where they push the boundaries on engine internals and so on and so forth within the rules, because the rules are strict. They can't just change anything. They've they've got to adhere to the to the rule books still. So developments are all very well, but they can also have a negative effect if you've um, gone just a little bit too far with something. We'll see. we'll see. But well, on the top of that, you lead us nicely to it, Keith, of what you've already said. MotoGP, I think at the end of last year, uh, has sort of announced their confirmation that they are amending the sporting, technical, medical and disciplinary rules or some of them. Some of the changes they've announced are they obviously uh, a minimum qualification time now, revised checks for ride height and aero parts, brake sizes, a ban on aerodynamic rider equipment and uh, confirmation of the new Moto3 and Moto2 minimum age limit coming in in a couple of years' time. And, of course, all of this being improved for, for safety purposes, Keith. And you know a bit more about some of the safety measurements they're trying to implement, aren't they? We've chatted about it before, of course. We had um, uh, EM Motorsport on, who, of course, do the, the flag panels, telling us about how they're hoping to improve rider safety. But, of course, it's so difficult, isn't it, when a rider at the front falls coming out of a corner in the middle of the pack, it's not the ones that are immediately around him. It's the ones who haven't seen him yet. How are they going to deal with that? Let's move to the beginning of that um, uh, conversation, yep. shall we, Harry, first of all. The, the situation is the rules are have been tidied up. There have always been things that, that Erta, the FIM, Dorna, wished they'd got across before they actually appear. The MSMA, obviously the MSMA, the Manufacturers Association, they work together um, to make the rules package um, or they make suggestions and then Erta and the rest put that package in the rule book and they all agree on it. Now, if there's something that within the rules that appears, like Ducati usually, that appear with something on their motorbike, 
it can't be banned there and then unless all the manufacturers agree. And of course, Ducati won't agree. So that will mean that it can't be banned there and then. But it can be banned the next year. So they might only have the pleasure of that particular thing um, during the, the current year. Uh, that's still in the rules. That's still the way it is. Manufacturers have got to agree with these things. Regarding aero, you know, we've all talked about when's it going to be that we've got wings on the arms or the shoulders and the like to try and enhance aero overall the motorbike. So we knew stuff like that was coming. Regarding the the stuff that Pete particularly, he was the first man I I seem to remember journalistically that that came up with the, you know, the 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 automatic onboard options regarding safety and the like. M Moto 2 and Moto 3 will be testing a system later on in the year where hardwired to the to the uh, rain light um, is a system that basically when there's an accident that's happened in the front bunch, the next group, if you like, or the nearest to it, will see flashing lights. The lights will flash at the back of the bikes in front of them. Of course, that doesn't rule out a tangle between the front few. Um, the problem they do have, you remember I, I mentioned, why don't they put an LED light in, in the helmet that flashes simultaneously with, with whatever warning they're trying to give, a flag signal or whatever it is. Apparently, the big issue there is the Bluetooth between the bike and helmets is not stable at the moment. They've not quite got that tech to work properly. And when you think, you know, some riders have three, four, five helmets, spare helmets, and that's all got to be synced to the, to, the, to the motorcycle so that if that Bluetooth doesn't operate quite well, and it's got to be stable, it's got to be consistent uh, and sustainable. So uh, that system is in testing as well. But the, the main thing is, is the rain light flashing. Um, that's going to be something we're going to see in Moto3 and Moto2 testing um, later this year, 2022. That's, um, that's, that's coming to us. So they're working on it. I mean, everybody's looking at the new things. Biofuel. The big problem you've got at the moment is motorbikes are going too fast now. I, I can't believe I'm saying that. But all these extra bits and pieces that we're, we're getting on the bikes are making the things too easy to ride. They're far too easy to ride. A rookie can jump on a MotoGP bike now and ride it almost as well as the fastest guys out there. We've seen it. And this is a situation that we're moving towards. You know, ride height adjustment. It's a problem. Whole shot, you know, whole shot device. Whole shot device might stay because that gets nice, you know, consistent launches off the, off the line. But the, the ride height adjustment that we're now getting in a straight line is, again, Motorbikes are, 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 are faster down a straight. They're getting even faster down a straight because they've got that stability and, and the positioning of the bikes and the suspension that gives it opportunity to get on the gas that fraction earlier and keep it keep it sat down and, and finding grip. So all these things are, are contrary to what they want to work towards within the rules. So I think the other thing with ride height adjustment as well is bloody expensive to develop because it's got to be wind tunnel. It's got to be, there's quite a lot of development that goes, goes behind it is costly, whereas it's quite cheap when it's on the bike. It's not an expensive upgrade to put on the bike once you've developed a system that works in the way that they want it to work. And I think that's where, again, Ducati have, have stolen a bit of a march, probably something to do with all them wind tunnels and things that they've got access to in uh, Maranello or something. I would imagine that that must have something to do with it. But there are things, you know, I spoke to Danny Aldridge, technical director of MotoGP. We've had him on the show before. I said, what's coming up this year? And my trick question was, what do you what do you foresee? What are you looking at that you want to get banned before it happens? And he, he, I didn't see him because we were only on a phone conversation, but I could imagine him throwing his hands in the air as if to say, I wish we knew. Because obviously it's a fairly small team that he directs 
that are trying to preempt a whole paddock full of very clever people trying to circumnavigate the rule book, which is not, it's not an easy task, believe me. And again, it comes back down to that banning situation. If all six manuf all, all the manufacturers um, agree unanimously that something should be banned for something safety wise or whatever it is, it will be banned immediately. But if they don't agree unanimously, which of course they never will do if a manufacturer has come up with something pretty good, um, it can be banned next year. I think Harry, actually Formula One man, um, I think they've got something similar to that in Formula One, don't they? Where, where you know, if somebody comes up with something interesting in Formula One, um, it can't be banned until the following year. If no one, if if the rest. Well, of the yeah, it's it's, it's happened time and time again. Like in two thousand, when they changed, it's normally when they change the regulations. So, if, for instance, it could well be this year when there's a, a you know someone's found a loophole or instance or Braun GP, of course, famously in, in two thousand and nine with the, with the blown diffuser. You know, <laughs> it took everybody ages to catch up with that halfway through the season because they couldn't ban it. And then, of course, that Braun ran away with it by then. But then at the end of the season, for next banned because it's not allowed. So. <laughs> it could be the same thing again. Why is it the child in me that laughs when you say blown diffusion? <laughs> Come on, Keith. We're technical here. Come on. We're in the technical part of the show. <laughs> technical terms only. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, I mean, I think MotoGP is fantastic, as you know. And I, and I think that they, we, we have got the right level of rules. I think that, that that little tweak here and there that Ducati come up with is fantastic. It just gets us, gets everyone else on their toes. I mean, like, I just think they've got it right at the moment, and but they, they will be doing more inspections during the course of this year. I mean, we're back to what is pre-COVID rules. I think is something we've got to remember. We've been on a tech freeze for so long. We're, we are now back to pre-COVID rules. So, you know, look at everything that was, was we were normally able to do during the course of a winter, and that should be done for 2022. Unless Yamaha at the moment, of course, and Quattararo, who's still waiting for whatever they've developed for him. Um, it's going to be a really, really great test. I can't wait. I wish I was there. Have you seen the trouble, Pete? You're still in Thailand, so you know all about trouble because they've banned, banned so much in Thailand. I was supposed to be there last week as well. But um, unfortunately, the, the um, so many... doesn't matter what's happening in the UK. Globally, it's getting more tricky to travel to these places. And the, the hoops that people are having to jump through to actually get to trackside, to get first-hand information. I mean... I said it in a tweet um, this week, actually. I mean, hats off to journalists that are spending pretty much in the main their own money to get to a track to produce the kind of information that we need, you know, to consume here. I just think that it's it's incredible what the testing, the fact that they can't go anywhere, the the flights, and then you run the risk you could you could land, and then somebody that sat next to you or two rows away or whatever it is has got COVID. So therefore, you get locked down as well just because you've been near someone that's that's tested positive. It's just awful situation still in so many different countries, and Malaysia are being quite tough on it as well. So hats off to journos, I think, and you won't hear that very often. <laughs> well, Pete, of course, you're you're the closest sort of to well to testing out of all of us. But yeah, how are you dealing with all, all the restrictions in place? It's because it's difficult because you you are the journalist out of all of us. Yeah, well, as you say, I mean, Malaysia, I think, will be one of the strictest events held since the COVID pandemic began. So maybe people are wow. thinking, oh, well, you know, it's it's things are, are loosening up now. I think I've seen, you know, the, we're in the same WhatsApp group as Keith, and you, you see all these the information that's being given for people that are going. You know, they can only stay in two different hotels. That's it. And you've got to do all the paperwork and the, the apps and the COVID tests. And we've seen a rider, of course, Jack Miller, who's tested positive, you, you know, 
asymptomatic and isn't able to travel. I mean, as Keith says, you know, that can easily happen. You've, you've got to do a test, was it 72 hours before you travel? I mean, there could easily be a, a late upset with a rider or key members of a team who could either just before they board a plane or when they arrive in Malaysia and they do a test, are suddenly, you know, ruled out of action. And we've been lucky in that we haven't had, I don't think in any real top motorsport championship, any, let's say, title contenders ruled out by this kind of thing. But, you know, you, you just wonder how long we can stay lucky, don't you? And, uh, you know, fingers crossed that Jack Miller, he's got time now. The Ducati launch has been sort of messed up by this, isn't it? They've had to postpone it. But, you know, Jack is in Australia, we should say. So he will now presumably fly directly to Malaysia. And he's got enough time. He's not doing the shakedown test because he's not a rookie. So he's got until February the 5th to basically pass that 72-hour test, isn't it? Where you, you've got to, you know, be free of COVID and then you're able to fly. And so hopefully Jack's okay to get on there, but it just serves as a warning for everyone that you can jump through all the hoops, you can do all the paperwork, and then you can have a surprise. I mean, Jack, he looks, we saw the video that he put out, asymptomatic, he you know, didn't have no idea that he was ill, and suddenly the test result comes in, and it, it just throws all your plans in, into the air, really. Mm. I think MotoGP did a remarkable job last year to, to, to get all of their personnel, when you consider how many people there are on site in a MotoGP paddock, and you'll know this, both of you, um, paddock life, when somebody gets food poisoning or something in the paddock, half the paddock goes down. That's how it works. You know, we're all in such close proximity to each other, and, and I, without getting too gross, I mean, the toilet facilities and the like, you know, people are in and out of toilets, you know, personal hygiene and the like is something that's sort of um, slightly secondary to the um, speed at which you're working, so therefore these things get bypassed slightly sometimes and, and people get sick and half the paddock gets sick. I was amazed last year at how well MotoGP coped with the COVID pandemic. Very few people um, were got into that paddock that caused any kind of infection through, through COVID. Really, really impressive. But now with the, the, the Omicron uh, version of it, asymptomatic is the word, isn't it? I mean, you know, people don't know they've got it until they get tested for it. So we might find that that's going to be a bigger problem. And people change the rules. I mean, Thailand, as I alluded to a minute ago, have just changed the rules again. And now they've just changed them again for the 1st of February. So it can be on a week-to-week -week basis that governments or authorities, and it might not even be governments, it could be local regions of places where the tracks are, that change the, 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 the rule at the last minute. Look at Novak mm. Djokovic. <laughs> I mean, it, it, that has got to be, the, I mean, the best thing that's come out of that is the warning shot. It's fired across the bowels of everybody. I see F Formula One of saying that if you're not vaxxed, you're not in. You know, it will be a similar situation in MotoGP and a lot of other sports, I believe, because the sport can be brought into disrepute by riders, drivers, tennis players not being able to take part because of the country's rules. And who is any individual sportsman, by the way, while I get off on my, my, my box, you know, who the bloody hell is he to be able to dictate to a country their rules, you know, their health rules that their their people are going through and being restricted to? And suddenly Novak lands on the plot and expects to play. No, it's just not right. I'm sorry. And the same thing will apply or should apply in MotoGP. And I think Formula One have announced that it will apply in their situation as well. If you're not up to spec, if you don't produce the right stuff, then you're out. Fair enough. Everybody knows in advance. Don't argue with it. You know, forget about the whether you should be compulsory vaccinated or not. If you want to take part in the sport and that is the rule, that is the rule. Yeah, completely. I couldn't. I think we all agree with you there. Um, we 
spoke about obviously uh pete bringing up miller uh, having covid um also another aussie who uh, has had to have a little trip to hospital uh remy gardner with a, a wrist injury um and he's had to have surgery on that as well so pete this is very close obviously so you meant to mention a shakedown he, he is obviously a rookie he would be hoping to take part in that does that put him at risk a little bit of missing that I think he, I think he should. It's just, a, it's, it's going to be tight, and I would say he's going to be pretty sore. But I think he's just got enough time. A couple of weeks, you know. I think it was, a, it was two screws. They, they sort of said it was a little fracture, but I mean, if you've got to have surgery for it, it, it can't be sort of that little, can it? So, you know, I, I think. Well, I mean, I think the doctor Mir is pretty keen on that kind of stuff, and I think Remy, when you're young and fit like that, and again, if it is a little fracture and they've pinned it and sorted it, it chances are he'll, he'll be, he'll be okay for it. It isn't how you want to start the season. I was texting with Wayne the other day about it as well. I mean, he's so disappointed, Dad Wayne Garner, of course. And and it's kind of like one of those things where Remy will be there. And as a rookie in the early test, he can take it a little bit easier. The pressure isn't quite so great when you first get on your new motorcycle and so on and so forth. It's not like he's got to get out that trap flat out first lap, which nowadays, if you don't, then you're that lap behind. And I think that that's the, I always had this old um, adage that every time you cock your leg over a bike, you've got to be faster or learn something. Those are the, the only two things you do when you race a motorbike. doesn't matter what the test is. You don't ride round and round in circles for the pleasure of it. You've either got to be faster or you've got to have learned something. So you're faster the next time you cock your leg over it. It's the only thing that matters when you're a Grand Prix, any kind of motorcycle race. I think it's probably worth mentioning you know, for all of the, all of the riders, the Sepang test is a grueling physical you know, you've got three days if you're doing the shakedown, and then you've got a couple of days off, and then two days of the official test. Normally, it was three days of the official test, so they've, they've cut it back by a day. But even so, you know, they, they come from testing in Jerez in, in late autumn. You know, this is going to be quite a shock. I mean, you see guys, they've got blisters. You know, they haven't been on MotoGP bikes. And then to do it at Sepang, of all places, you know, in that punishing heat and everything else, it, it's going to be a shock for everybody. So, you know, yeah, Remy's going to be sore, but you know what? They're all going to be sore. <laughs> They're all going to be feeling the, the pain of it. And to be honest, I wouldn't be surprised if the first day of the shakedown, you don't see many riders rushing out. That'll probably be the test riders only. Usually the, 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 the race guys that say are prettier, they, they usually start day two. As I say, now they've knocked a day off the official test. Maybe that will change. But it was always kind of the, the feeling that, look, you know, you need to pace yourself because of course you've been off the bike all winter you want to be keen you want to get out there as soon as the track goes green and just ride but physically you know that's such a six days as it used to be within the space of about eight days that's a hard thing to do and then you're going to indonesia i mean that's not going to be an easy ride either so yeah i mean it's going to be a a spare a thought for all of them and, and that includes the mechanics in pit lane Nice touch on that as well. Track cleaning up from those first few days. I've been to the Sepang test and the track, if they've had some kind of Ferrari, you know, corporate thing or whatever it is, and the track's covered in marbles and it's grubby and it's horrible, it takes two days to clean the track up. Alex Briggs, ex of Yamaha, of course, used to call it the Sweat Olympics whenever you went to Malaysia. You know, it's not just the riders. They're, the mechanics and the techs are working in that heat and they are dripping all over everything. It's, a, it's really, really, when the humidity's high, and it's hot, and that is Sepang, then you, you know all about it. 
Well, we'll uh, find out soon. Looking forward a little bit to uh, the testing next week. Of course, we've had a couple of teams already unveil their bikes uh, and their liveries for this year. Grassini unveiled their new colours um, and launching their new era as a, a satellite Ducati team as they return to, to full independent status. Um, and also we had uh, the With You RNF Yamaha, of course, unveiling with Vizioso uh, and Binder uh, having a, a sort of um, operatic uh, view as well of, of that uh, release too. So uh, all very uh, very glamorous um but looking ahead to testing guys you know what are you looking out for what what's your eyes on in these first initial tests because i know it's hard to pick things up isn't it especially when you know there might be a lot of time having to just get the track up to speed but what what your eyes looking at mm -hmm. yamaha it's got to be yamaha you've got to look at yamaha what have they got what are they doing you know like i see dobby trilling about the fact he's got a full factory bike this year in what is an untried team i mean uh, raslan rosali's rnf team you know, is a shadow of its former self. We are going to see whether they are going to be up to speed. Uh, Dovi, is he going to be good enough? I don't think so. You know, I think Dovi's done. You know, sorry about that. It's going to go down hard for a lot of people. And I'm a massive Dovi fan. You can look back. I'm not just saying it. You can look back in my, my timeline. I've always been very pro to Vizioso. But things have moved on. And if Yamaha haven't caught up and Dovi is, you know, running into the age of, you know, I won't say lacking commitment, but you need a commitment nowadays. Even though I've said earlier on, these bikes are easier to ride than they've ever been ever. You know, you're talking about blisters on your hands. Well, that's how hard you're having to ride a motorbike. That's a much easier motorbike to ride than they've ever been in Grand Prix level. But the, I can't see, I just can't see in my heart of hearts, Dovi being able to hack it. Well, well Keith, guys. Chris Whiteside has asked, Chris Whiteside has asked, is it one last year for a payday before making way for top rack? It's not about pay. I, I wouldn't be derogatory to, to, to Vizioso in, in that fact. And Dobby's the kind of guy that won't ride a below par motorcycle over the top. Dobby's the kind of guy, you give him the kit and he will ride it as fast as he can. I mean, I think what we saw from Dobby last year says to me that the bike wasn't quite the bike that he wanted, wasn't quite the top bike, so therefore he didn't give it that 110% situation. And we will see better, I think, from him in 2022. But I just don't believe that, I think that things have moved on and they do move on in, in MotoGP. Um, is he doing a payday? No, he's not doing a payday. He's still serious about it. That's a fact. Um, I saw that tweet. It was a guy that said, is he just having a payday waiting for top rack Razgat Lioglu to come through? And... You've got to say that Top Rack, he's one of the most exciting motorcycle racers I've ever seen. And that is saying something. <laughs> I mean, I think that Top Rack moving on into MotoGP will be spectacular. He's what MotoGP needs. You know, Rossi moves out, you know, maybe Marquez, depending on injuries, you know, his spectacular riding style might be a little more subdued this year. Bring on Top Rack. I'd love to have seen him in 2022 on something good. But Kinnan Sofaroglu is, uh, you know, the multiple world supersport champion who now manages him is quite smart. He gets a lot of stick because I don't think the old MotoGP guys quite like some of the things that Keenan comes out with. I do, though, because he's a bit of a maverick. And he, I think he says stuff. And I think, yeah, he's going to ruffle a few feathers when he's in the MotoGP paddock with Top Rack under his, um, under his wing. He's gonna, it's going to be a very interesting year when he gets there. And I think... It's going to give the year enough time to shape up. He's, Top Rack is going to be able to see what's the motorbike that's developed the best during this 
this transitional year almost. We're coming out of the freeze of COVID, out of the tech freeze into this year. What bike is going to be the one to do it? At the moment, it looks like Ducati are head and shoulders above everyone else. So maybe Ducati's the bike that he'll want in 2023. But there'll be a clearer picture this year as to what will be the developing team, the developing bike. And that's when Top Rack will come in with a bang mm. in 2023. I really hope <laughs> but, so. But Pete, it looks like Yamaha really want to make a bid for Top Rack. I think there are rumours that RNF tried to get him for this year or at least inquired. Perhaps he's their reserve rider this year as well. He's going to have a test on an M1 Yamaha alongside Cal Crutchlow. So Yamaha really making a play for him. And it, I think Top Rack has got a deal in Superbikes till the end of 23. But... It seems like if he can get out of it early, he will. Yeah, I mean, the, the Yamaha route would be the natural one, wouldn't it? But there's this snagging point, which Keenan Savoglu, as his manager, and you know, he's obviously going to shoot for the best for his rider, he's saying he wants a factory team. And we've been talking, you know, Morbidelli is signed up until the end of next year. That leaves Quattararo as the only factory place. Well, Yamaha are not going to kick out Quattararo for top rack, no matter how good he is, because you know, they're going to do everything to keep Fabio. So... If Fabio stays in place, what happens then to Toprak? As, as Keith was saying, does he then look at other teams? You know, Toprak's got a, a close association with Red Bull. There's obviously a Red Bull KTM team, but there's also a lot of Red Bull branding on that Repsol Honda, isn't there? You know, the lower part of the fairing is all Red Bull. And, uh, you know, maybe they would be prepared to take a bit of a gamble. There'd be, I think there'd be a lot of, it, it depends on how serious, as, as Keith was saying, you know, Keenan's doing the right thing as a manager and he's, he's making clear that Toprak wants the best. It all depends on, you know, is he prepared to settle for a satellite team, you know, a factory bike at a satellite team, in which case Yamaha could give him that next year. No problem at all. I mean, Dovi and Binder are both only on one year deals, so they could put together that you know, straight away. Or is he really insisting, you know, how, how much does he really want this factory team, in which case they might well have to look at another manufacturer. Well, you always move Norbidelli back to RNF. Keith, this was, the, this was the time of year, I think, you said this last year, it was this time of year that deals would already start to be in motion for 23 because of, you know, half the grid is, you know, their contract is up at the end of this year. So uh, what, what does this mean for a lot of riders? How can you make a deal now for 23 when you haven't had a, well, you don't know how you've performed this season as a rider. You don't know how each team has performed. What's going, how is this 23 sort of silly season shaping up now in 22? I think it's a mistake to make it too early. Um, you make the deal early uh, if you're not sure about your rider. I mean, the Petrucci situation is a, probably a good one in that Petrucci didn't perform like they would have expected him to, but the deal was done really early. So that probably was a little bit of a mistake. It, it narrows down the, the seats that are available. But I'll tell you what, if you're a manufacturer and Top Rack is out there floating around, you're going to be looking at, at taking the young Turk on. You know, you've got a country that's got 84 million people in it. You know, not a bad bloody place to be selling your wares to start with. Um, he's the fastest Muslim for some time, you know, which is another selling type tick, if you like, as well. We've got a situation here where the diversity thing is is covered fairly well with with that. The, the, I, I, I just think Top Rack, if, if he is, Kinas Ofoglu has got a, an absolute ace up his sleeve here with Top Rack. You know, is he going to be a two-time uh, World Superbike champion by the end of 2022? Quite possibly. You know, Jonathan Ray. You know, the restrictions that were on Kawasaki and World Superbikes last year because Jonathan was basically walked off with six six world titles. You know, they restricted Kawasaki probably just a tad too much during the 21 season. Um, that will probably 
there'll probably be some adjustments that World Superbike have got up their sleeve for, for this coming season. Um, they've got a test coming up very soon, so we're going to have an idea. I think they're all at Jerez, aren't they? The, the, uh, the, the bloody annual test at Jerez, which is always really, really quick at this time of the year because it's cooler and the track is in really good condition there always. Um, but I think Top Rack and Johnny Ray, Jonathan Ray, this year is going to be another spectacular World Superbike season. Jonathan Ray should have been in MotoGP years ago. He stayed where he did. Honda basically duffed him up, I think, with that one when he got stuck with Ten Carter and the Honda and he never got, got the ride he should have done with Honda in MotoGP, my view. And Top Rack, you know, they would have seen that. They would have learned from that. Kinosofo Oglu is a tough character and he will be looking to get the best possible ride for his rider. And that discussion, back to your question, will be happening now. You know, they will be across this now. In Sepang, when the first test, Madalika, when that comes up just shortly after that, um, there will be people. In fact, it's quite a good sport. Sitting on, sitting on the Urta deck, Urta coffee in hand, watching the management hiding behind trucks and various other nooks and crannies where these managers are, are meeting. Because, you know, managers usually have two, three, four riders under their wing. You know, Akiayo has got, you know, despite the fact he's also got a team, I mean, he's got lots of riders he looks after. Different managers look after lots of different riders. Keenan Sofoglu looks after Top Rack. You know, there are very few managers that look after one rider. So they know where the pieces are going because they've got three or four riders. It's like it's like owning several pieces on the chess table. You know, you've, you've, you already know where you're going to put one of them so you can manoeuvre another one in a... In a, in a pincer movement, if you like, as a, as a managerial coup. Um, and that goes on all the time. I mean, it's quite good fun, actually, watching all the managers um, wandering around. We should do a piece on that, actually. You need a cameraman just so you can catch them hiding behind the bike sheds, <laughs> always doing their uh, their little deals. One day, we will, all be, we will all be in the same place in person. We will record a podcast where we're sat having a coffee <laughs> watching the paddock go by. That will happen. I'm, I'm determined to make it happen. Um, and it's interesting, though, actually, you know, obviously Top Rack is, is the talk of the town, but, you know, World Superbikes obviously have a, a, an amazing plethora of, of riders and, and with a lot of MotoGP riders out of contract. I think even Ika Laquona was having to bat away uh, suggestions that he might end up replacing Mark Marquez in the Honda, you know, if he can't do the Sepang test or the early part of the season. Can you tell I'm trying to bring back Laquona at hype again? Uh, <laughs> come on, Ika, you could do it. Well, he did, actually... Yeah, he, I mean, it's a, that's the kind of quality of the field we've got when someone like Lecuona is is eased out. You know, that it's amazing, isn't it? I mean, I don't think he's been given a fair crack of the whip, but but obviously, you know, management do think he's been given a fair crack of the whip. I mean, he's dropped off the edge. Yeah, I mean, it's a state of our our sport. We're you know we're spoiled for riches, really, in in MotoGP, Moto2. The talent Moto3. we talked about is poor. The talent is, is incredible, isn't it? Um, sorry, Pete, go on. What are you about to say? I just want to say one more thing on top track, which is yeah. I think that. This test that he's going to do, or when he does the test, I think that'll be massive in terms of the options that are available. Because that's the last real question mark, isn't it? We all know he's fantastically talented. If he gets on that M1, and especially if he's testing with Cal, and Cal is able to, you know, they can compare with Cal's data. Everyone knows how quick Cal is. Cal is also very good at assessing other riders, and they can, you know, he can give the feedback as well. I mean, that would be the final box to tick for me. You know, if Toprak is quick when he gets on that M1, I think, you know, there's going to be a rush You'll see the managers in, in like a you know Usain Bolt 100 meter sprint to try and get his signature because I think that is the only thing that remains. There's always that slight doubt, isn't there? Can someone transition from superbike? You know, we saw Ben Spees come across as a, a champion. We've seen Colin Edwards. We've seen Troy Bayliss. 
I know Colin didn't quite win a race, but, you know, effectively he came within one corner, didn't he? And, uh, you know, they were able to win in MotoGP, but no one's yet become the world champion in, you know, in that route. But Toprak, I mean, he's up there with the best that we've seen in terms of potential. But I just, I just think that would be the last box that the MotoGP, let's say, decision makers will want to see is, and I don't just mean Yamaha, I mean, all of the teams will be watching that Yamaha test wherever it is. I think Yamaha will want to do it behind closed doors and keep all of the lap times private so that the others don't know. But I think that would be the last box to tick. If he goes quick in that, you need to sign him up quick because there'll just be a stampede. He's going to be quick. I have absolutely no doubt about it. He's going to be quick. I mean, the the, the way that he rides that, I mean, he's he outmarkers his markers in a lot of respects when you see the way he rides that World Superbike Yamaha. And I think that... Um, the Honda shout that you were talking about earlier, you know, he would be, if, he, if I was at Honda, he'd be the man I'd want to be, be hiring. Well, And just to give context, I know we were talking about when these decisions are made, going back to the previous two-year cycle, it was basically now that Quattararo signed for the factory Yamaha team and Vinales signed. So, you know, we, we're not being sort of premature in our discussions here. You know, it's about now where the first deals are normally made. Okay, maybe COVID has slowed things down. We saw Marquez sign his four-year deal, wasn't it, in February. So if you like going off past history, Yamaha and Honda, they're two manufacturers that are happy to do an early deal. So, you know, who knows? Where will that next signature come from? There's already been rumours of Joan Mir. Might he be on the list at Honda? Um, you know, there's, there's, I, I think there's certainly going to be some, somebody's going to fall into place, a major player, let's say, by the first race weekend. Um, I think you'd be surprised if they don't. It's exciting, isn't it? I feel like we've dusted off the cobwebs with this episode. It's been a while. We're back into it. Or at least I've, I've dusted off the cobwebs, at least. So <laughs> I don't want to speak for you two. Um, I want to end, uh, as we, we are coming to the end now, with uh, a question. I have no, I don't know if this is a joke question or if it actually happened. So Daniel Patrick Coyle has asked, why is sidecar racing not part of the official MotoGP package at race meetings? It used to be in the old days, right, Keith? Really? It did. And I mean... I, the, <laughs> what do you mean, really? What do you mean, really? <laughs> you bloody GT3 aficionado, you. <laughs> Sidecar racing. I mean, it, they were innovative. They were engineers. The, the teams were great fun in the paddock. I mean, I used to spend quite a lot of my time up in the, you know, the boondocks, which is where they used to keep the motor, the uh, motor three, the, yeah, nowadays, the uh, sidecars. They used to keep them way away from everything else. I mean, sidecars, oh, I'm going to get some stick for this. I really am. They don't have any relevance. You know, the problem is they don't have the relevance that they had back in the day. Do you see a sidecar on the road? How often do you see a sidecar on the road? Where is the manufacturer situation with a sidecar? There isn't any link to any marketing situation now where sidecars can be considered to be, you know, we've got electric bikes now. You know, we're talking about we've got the World Cup Moto E. That's taken the slot that sidecars would have naturally have been in. The end of the day, the fill-in thing, the one that you can drop or you can you can you know shorten the laps to because the rest of the thing, the rest of the program has taken longer during the day for whatever reason. Sidecar racing, bloody good fun to watch. Really, really good stuff. I would recommend to anybody that's not been to a sidecar race go and watch it because it's really, really, you know, those guys don't give any quarter. That is for sure. And engineering-wise, if you go and have a look around at some of the, the early stuff, you know, the, the, the B-Land, you know, Rolf B-Land was the man of innovation back in the day. You know, 
Jock Taylor, a good friend of mine back in the day as well, the Scotsman that was killed at Imatra all those years ago when they used to race on a horrible road track with railway lines across it and all the rest of it back in the day. I mean, we're, we're just talking about something that really has lost the relevance to the road, to manufacturers, and to the fashion of things. So, unfortunately, that's the reason why we don't see it. It is a big loss, but unfortunately, there isn't the room in the program for them to be there. Not if you're going to add the rookies, the Asia Talent Cup, you know, get young riders on Grand Prix circuits in Grand Prix situations, and also promote the World Cup of, um, of electric bikes in Moto E. So there's just never going to be the room. There's no way back for them. You know, various, I mean, they, they didn't they peep, they backed up World Superbike at one stage, didn't they? We had sidecars at World Superbike, some World Superbike races. You know, you can still see them sometimes at, at club level and the like and national level, but, but not much at international anymore. And I can't see them coming back either. So sidecars are well, coming yeah, Exactly to say, Keith, when you see the, the race day schedule at some of these some of these events, isn't it? I mean, the track action is packed as it is. I mean, who, you know, you'd have to, who would you drop? You know, as Keith rightly says, friends of mine that are like you guys that say commentators, you know, sometimes I feel sorry for them because they're not leaving the booth. I mean, you know, you look at the, the action, it just goes on from the, the morning to the, to the evening. I mean, at some of these tracks, there's that, there's so many talent cups now as well as the Grand Prix classes. I think people that, that maybe follow it just on TV. They don't realize all these other classes that are that are going on outside of the live TV coverage. But every Grand Prix weekend is packed with action as it is. So trying to fit another class in with any other class would be a, you know, a big a big effort anyway. Well, that's a shame. Maybe we should. Maybe we could pitch it and do a do a crash version and, and see if we can get it uh, back up and running. But maybe we'll, maybe we'll get a GT3. What's race? your beef with GT3? <laughs> <In the program>. <laughs> <laughs> GT3 race. Unbelievable. <laughs> right, I'll take you to a GT3 race this year and we'll uh, we'll change your mind. Um, <laughs> if I could drag you to four wheels. Um, okay, well, that just about does it, I think, gents, for our uh, our first one of 2022. We're back in business near about. Um, Malaysia test in Sepang uh, is next week, isn't it? 5th of February to the 6th of February. Um, and we shall return with you on the podcast at this time next month uh, for uh, more MotoGP chats. And we'll know... A a lot more hopefully by then uh, about how the season might shape out with testing well underway of course but you can keep up to date with all the very latest on crash.net in the meantime so one more for february and then we're back up to one show a week again in march because we know you missed us and we missed you too uh, any questions send them in all the usual ways even if they're on sidecars leave them uh, in uh, in the comment section or tweet instagram facebook us just search crash moto gp uh, on social media leave us a review if you could be so kind wherever you get your podcasts from uh, and we shall see you right back here next month bye-bye imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time that's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 
luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com.